Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Security Squad podcast, where we talk about the business of cybersecurity. I am here today is uh, May 24th, 2021, and I have with me my cohort, Reginald Andre from Arc Solvers in Miami, Florida. How are you, sir? Doing good, doing good. All right. Thanks for joining me again today on the show and knocking out episode number, I think we're at 22 now today. Mm -hmm. All right, awesome. So um, real quick, give us everybody an update. I'm gonna jump over to uh, Facebook here and just share out our podcast uh, recording to my audience. Um, but we we didn't get to do our uh, live one last week in, uh, we were in Austin, Texas together uh, and we didn't get to do that uh, like we thought. We were just super busy, right? We were at a conference and I think that anybody who's in business and goes to conferences, conferences specifically to work on their business, you know that they're pretty jam-packed from, from start to finish. At least the good ones are, right? right. Um, and we thought we could sneak away, but it would have been like while we were eating lunch and it was tough to get a uh, quiet area where we thought we could get decent audio recordings done. So we just decided to record it today on Monday and we will do our regular Thursday recording as well this week to make up for what we didn't do last week. So um, I guess, why don't we talk about takeaways from, from our event? Um, did you pick up on anything uh, on at the event related to cybersecurity that you weren't necessarily aware of uh, when we spoke? Um, actually, yes, and but I also want to mention to the, since we do have a business audience, it's called the, the the get out of bed number. Okay, I, and I think that was important for everyone to just know and have. And, and essentially, it's like, what number do you need to make uh, a day for a project for a contract where whenever uh, you do get out of bed, the dollar amount is worth it. So, for example, your bed, get out of bed number can be five hundred dollars in order to do a proposal. So, just always. Kind of like have that number in back of your head because sometimes you find yourself doing work that's not even worth it. So just have that get out of bed number. Yeah, it's always an important thing uh, for small businesses to kind of figure out, in my opinion, um, because a lot of businesses, and I don't think there's very many industries that are immune to this, and especially with technology today. Um, being the kind of the great equalizer, in my opinion, and, and technology, in my opinion, um, is something that's deflationary from an from a from an economic standpoint. In that, it usually technology usually makes things cheaper to to do, um, but technology also can commoditize industries very quickly, right? Uh, and I see that in a lot of different industries. And um, so how, if, if you were uh, somebody that you were given this advice to that you just mentioned, Andre, mm -hmm. what are some strategies or what should some things that uh, people should look at in terms of uh, a minimum amount to charge or a minimum profitability standard? Because really that's what we're talking about at the end of the day. Like, mm -hmm. what is your standard on your profitability? Um, what are some strategies that you could 
implore as a business owner to really get your head around or, or understand whether or not you're charging enough in your business? Yeah, I would, I would definitely look at your cost plus. So everything to run your business, your, to pay your employees, all the tools that you need for it. And then what, what margin do you need or what percentage do you need in order to be able to take home some money and be happy about it and not like, you know, have a struggle or whatever the case is. So that's kind of like what um, one of the spreadsheets that we use in our class was, was how much do you need to run your business? And then how much do you want to be able to take home to buy that car or the toy or whatever it is that you want to do? Yeah. And I guess for me, it's one of the biggest mistakes you can make as I think as a business owner in any industry is don't decide what your pricing is based on what your competition is doing or what your market is doing, because that's what you believe the where the market is priced right i think a lot of people lie to themselves and and don't do the proper research and don't do maybe things that are innovative or things differently than other companies and they try to fit the mold of what they think the uh clients or prospects in their market will actually pay for for what they're doing uh and i know in our industry it's it's a problem where companies just don't value what they do enough, right? To where they can say, I'm worth this amount of money and I should charge this much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's, it's severely on the low end. And then when you educate a business owner around all the costs that go into what you, how you deliver your service and what you do, they find out pretty quickly that money is gone like that and and they don't charge enough money to do what what they do so um and you know what we're going to jump into today with ransomware and all the, all the stuff that's going on with that i mean geez you get hit with ransomware and you're not making any money um how are you going to pay the hackers <laughs> you know what i mean like uh, people have to actually have like a rainy day fund and so i'm just being serious about this because as we're going to look at today, um, you know, it, we we could be looking at the end of days for insurance companies paying the ransom for for companies, right? So, um, let me jump into let's jump into the CNA one right away, right? So I'm going to pull that up on the screen. First topic we're going to discuss, or we're going to kind of dive in a little bit, is this. Um, and I certainly covered this on my YouTube channel, but CNA Insurance or CNA Financial, uh, a very large uh, uh, insurance firm, um, has was hit with ransomware, and they did end up paying the ransom. Um, and I want to kind of talk about this for a couple different reasons that I'm going to bring up with you. Um, but as we can see, it, the MSSP alert, which you know Andre and I are, are a big fan of, uh, the Howard Cass reported uh, today that CNA Financial uh, paid forty million to ransomware hijackers to unlock its data and restore its network systems. Uh, this happened in March of 2021, uh, and it goes on to say the astronomical amount 
the cyber uh, roughnecks. That's a new one. Uh, squeeze from CNA Financials is thought to be the largest ransom demand met by victims to date. For perspective, the CNA heist is roughly 10 times the 4.4 million that hackers who hit Colonial Pipeline raked in from an early May 2021 payment. So let's just stop there. What are your thoughts on, on A, the number, as, as this person points out, it's astronomical. Give me your perspective there first. Yeah, I think they, they had no choice. Um, they I, Their backup systems that they had, their restoration systems they had, whatever plan they had did not, well, either they didn't have a plan or the plan that they had did not work. And right. they were at a situation where it was just that it was uh, cheaper and less painful to just uh, pay and hope that things go back to normal. So the other piece of this is 4.4 million versus 40 million, right? Mm -hmm. Why would why would hackers have such a disparage disparity between what Colonial Pipeline paid and what CNA Financial paid? In your opinion, like why was it ten times the amount? You know what I'm. I, I don't know because this maybe is it more computers that got hit maybe um yeah I would say I would say there's a couple things going on here um even though even though colonial pipeline is as big as it is they probably don't make as much money they probably don't as make as much money as uh CNA right? And then in terms of profitability, how much they have. The other piece of this is, is uh, in my opinion, is Colonial Pipeline, they were able to like kind of shut down the operations. Mm -hmm. But as we know now, the operations are the, um, the, the, the machines that controlled the delivery of the fuel with Colonial weren't really impacted. Um, so they they took them down. They took everything offline as a precaution, which right. was a good move. Um, but at the end of the day, they probably didn't have to take them offline because it was determined that they were not impacted. And that's why they were able to get up as quickly as, as they were. Right. The other piece is, is the um, private information that an insurance company holds versus what a pipeline company holds, right? Yeah. So a pipeline, you know, while they have contracts with shipping companies and oil companies and stuff like that, CNA insurance has private information on individuals. And more than likely, that's what they paid to make sure didn't get out to the dark web and the general public. So my guess is, is that the quality of the data of the assets that were stolen uh, in in CNA's case versus Colonial Pipeline's case was much greater. There was much more value behind that data uh, than what they got with Colonial. Colonial was a was a nuisance and a disruption to the oil supply chain. Um, CNA they got to their assets to very valuable information. So um, it's like it's one thing for a hospital to get hacked and have their operations halted, which is what we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, 
But it's another thing when you have a hospital that gets exploited and then all of their patient information is now in the hands of a hacker and they can do a lot of different things with that information. And I think that that's why we see a couple things go on in, in the ransomware negotiation process. A, what's your revenue? B, what's your typical profitability in that industry? So that gives uh, the hackers an idea of what your cash flow is and how much money you might or might not have on hand. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it is, is how valuable is the data that we just stole off the network? How valuable is that? Like how how much do these companies want to keep that protected and not getting released out into the wild? Uh, and I think in CNA's case, the, the data was extremely valuable um, when we compare it to like a pipeline company. Right. So, and it goes on to state that, that CNA is the seventh largest commercial insurance provider in the world. Um, it coughed up the lofty sum two weeks after hackers stole data and locked up its systems. And that's the other part of it too. Like you go two weeks into an event and you realize that you don't have many options. Uh, and as we know, the longer you wait, the higher the price goes. So that could have absolutely played an impact here uh, as to whether or not these these guys get uh, get forty million or four million. Right? It's mm-hmm. you know how how long did you wait to actually start negotiating and start telling these guys you were going to pay? So, um, and I guess the other piece is without. I can't go without saying this is is the hacking group behind it, right? So, you know, it really just depends on the hacking group that's behind it and, you know, how willing they are to work with you or not work with you on certain things. Right. Revel, very, very good group. Um, uh, and... Um, we'll clarify good. <laughs> what's that? We'll clarify good. Well, they're good in the sense that they're the worst, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, they're very successful and they're one of the top grossing uh, ransomware groups that are out there. So, um, so they go on to say no comment about the uh, no comment about the ransomware payment. Um, Law enforcement was involved, and in, but CNA hasn't formally commented on the attack, let alone the payoff, other than to say it uh, has uh, complied with uh, uh, the law. Uh, The insurer has consulted and shared intelligence about the attack and hacker's identity with Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Treasury Department for an asset control. Um, So the government's involved just like they probably were with with the pipeline. Um, And it's not currently clear how the freeze out will reverberate CNA's clients in a security incident update posted on May 12th. CNA said it did not believe the systems of record claims systems or underwriting systems where the majority of policyholder data is, including policy terms and coverage limits stored, were impacted. So do you believe that based on the number that they paid? Because, I mean, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, why would you pay that kind of number if they don't believe it? My guess is is the words they don't believe mean that we don't believe because we haven't seen evidence. But if they didn't have the right technology in place and the right things set up, they're never going to have that evidence. Yeah. Right. So until somebody comes forward and says, hey, we have this this data, 
I guess that's going to be the story they're sticking to until until somebody proves exactly. that otherwise, which is very interesting. Um, I've been doing a lot of research lately on on various attacks and and some things that are coming down the pike with with vulnerabilities that I'm aware of that that haven't hit the street yet. Um, and as you try to disclose vulnerabilities to vendors and and and, and people out there you're literally met with this, that they like, we don't believe you. And that's, that's the interesting thing. I'm working with a bunch of people um, who are involved in this kind of stuff. And it, it, it amazes me that when you go to um, a major vendor, you know, and you tell them that we've discovered a vulnerability in your system and their initial knee jerk reaction is, is we don't believe you almost all the time, like prove it to us, prove it to us. And then you prove it to them and then they'll go, oh, well, this has to be true and that has to be true and that has to be true and that has to be true in order for somebody to, you know, successfully uh, exploit what you found. And like, to me, it's like, that's exactly what hackers do. They jump from one vulnerability to another, to another, to another and exploit a system and you can't say like, well, that's like the chances of that happening are slim to none, right? Yeah, but Brian, that's kind of like the same thing if you or I ever go do an assessment on, on the client systems and then we find we find certain things like, hey, this firewall is outdated or it's not patched or you have this um, uh, port open or you're running this version of Windows, which is not supported. And then the client answers, well, ah, that, I mean, but what's the chances of it happening to me or it'll never happen? Or in order for this to happen, you, they'll need to go this way. And it's like they give all these excuses or reasons not to, uh, they're in a denial in a sense. But I mean, for us, that I think that happens as well, just on a different level. Yep. So the, the article goes on to say, according to uh, this report done by Coveware, uh, in their quarterly ransomware report, the average ransom payment in the first three months of 2021 was up $220,298. So almost, um, let's call it $250,000, a quarter million. Yeah. The average ransom payment this year is up 250, is up, it was 250,000, up 43% from about 150,000. Mm -hmm. so they're coming, I mean, and look, this isn't in the millions. So this just goes to prove to you that these small companies are getting hit and they're getting hit. It used to be, when ransomware first came out in 2007, it was like 500 bucks, 700 bucks to get your files back, right? right? Fast forward, you know, 13, 14 years later to 2021 and you got, 250,000 up from 150,000 last year. And like these businesses that are only doing 500,000, 700,000, a million dollars in revenue. These are the companies that are getting hit left and right. If you do a million dollars in year a year in revenue and you get hit with ransomware, your demand is probably going to be somewhere north of 75,000. Like at a minimum, right? Mm -hmm. So um so it goes on to say Coveware does not list Phoenix Locker among the top 10 ransomware variants in 2021, a period uh, dominated by Sodi 
Nokibi, uh, which commands 14% of the market. Um, figures from uh, crypto uh, cybersecurity researcher or power. Palo Alto networks are even more attention getting, pegging the average ransom paid by North American and Europe at 312,000. So not, I mean, a little bit more, but not much more right. um, from 115,000. I mean, I believe it. I mean, I believe that these guys are being more successful. I believe that more companies are paying the ransom. Uh, more companies are willing to shell it out just to move on from business. Um, and, and this is happening. This isn't, it's not because there's less attacks happening uh, at a higher rate. It's there's more attacks happening at a higher uh, ransom demand than, than we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is, and, and 2020 was a really bad year. And if you're, you know, if you're, if you're on the, on this side of the fence, when it comes to cybersecurity, 2020 was a bad year and 2021 is already starting off to be, you know, worse than 2020, which to me is like, wow. Um, While ransomware had previously caught uh, federal government's interest, now it has captured its full attention. Uh, They're they're setting up all kinds of uh, uh, congressional uh, committees and they're putting bills out left and right. The Biden administration uh, has signed an executive order. what do you think about that? Because I have my opinion, but what do you think about all the things that you see our government doing right now in response to how bad ransomware is getting? Too little, too late. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I, I it, Too little, too late. Mm, I don't know if, I just think like what, like now I, I worked for, I worked for the Navy as a defense contractor for the first six years of my career. Um, I know how it works. Now, in the Navy, their motto was, you know, tongue in cheek, hurry up and wait. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much from what I've seen in the United States government, it's hurry up and wait. Like they'll do things to make people feel good in the news and they'll put, you know, so this stuff gets in the headlines and notice all of this happened right after the uh the pipeline attack right almost all this stuff that they talk about in this paragraph right here happened immediately after the pipeline attack right so um not that it's the same thing but like in this too when there's a mass shooting in this country and then everybody for two or three weeks gets up in arms about gun control and then nothing really ever changes around gun control i happen to think that this is going to fall along the same lines that it's going to be, you know, a lot of headlines to make people feel good. But at the end of the day, nobody's really going to put the blood, sweat and tears in that's required to actually do this stuff and actually put a good cybersecurity program in for the country, for not only public entities, but private entities as well. Yeah. So, so I think that's it for this article. Um, I'm going to move right along. Um and switch my tab here. Give me one second. Um, so the next one we're going to talk about is cyber attack, high risk stolen, stolen patient data may be released tomorrow. So this came out yesterday and this is in um, regards to the uh, healthcare hack that's going on in 
uh, Ireland right now. Right. So what do you know about this? Where are we at? I don't know much about this, so I'm going to lean on you on this one. I, I haven't looked into this. Uh, I've There's been so much going on. This is like, this ha has been like kind of low on my, my radar. Um, although I do plan on getting caught up on some things with this today. What's going on here? So essentially, um, like you mentioned in Ireland, uh, um, hospitals were attacked and you have a government official saying that the hackers have the information and now they're threatening, there's a very high chance that they're gonna go ahead and release the information, release the patient data to the public and on the dark web, et cetera. Um, so that's the first part of it. And then the second part of it is talking about the theft and the disclosure. And there's um, chances that if you get phone calls, for example, of anybody trying to contact you, because essentially the, the hackers now have your patient information. So um, we've seen many times where the hackers will now go and say, we have your data and they'll actually try to trick the consumer into now getting information from them, either being a rep from a hospital, or we need to update your credit card information, or um, just saying we will um, release your information if you don't pay. So it's kind of like a double whammy that the, the hackers are getting. Yeah, so, so I, I've read a couple articles on this while I was you know, busy last week. I did catch one on the plane. And I don't know if you have any intel on this or not, but one of the things I saw is that like actual like cancer patient patients and like treatment was being impacted by this. Like mm -hmm. they couldn't deliver medical services. Right. Yeah. So um, the other thing that I saw this weekend briefly when I was checking my phone at one point, I, th I thought I read and I think it says it right here. The, the cyber criminals did give them the encryption tool, the decryption tool. So, and they're eight, because so, it's saying restoring systems, good progress is being made, restoring IT systems and the health service following the cyber attack, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then steady progress was made over the weekend and the provision of an encryption tool by the cyber criminals behind the attack has helped, he said. Um, so what I believe is, is that they've given them the decryption tool for free. They, they, cause they basically said, we're not paying the ransom. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll basically leave it to the Irish to go, we're going to just let people die and, you know, so, so be it. And, and we'll, you know, basically figure it out on the back end. You know, obviously, you know, you're probably talking about homicide charges at some point against people for stuff like this. Um, and it sounds like they kind of took the burn the ships approach where we're like, okay, we're never even considering paying the ransom. And we're here to, you know, fight this, you know, by restoring and, and doing it the way that it should be done. Mm -hmm. And I guess they finally caved and gave the encryption tool to, or the decryption tool to the hospital so they could start recovering. Uh, so as it goes on to say, as a result, systems in some hospitals for storing scam results and patient administration details are likely to be restored soon and other areas, restoration of systems will take weeks. And that's just the sheer amount of data that they probably encrypted, right? And how it spread through the network. Cause like I tell people, A, if you get ransomware and you pay the ransom, 
there's a lot of, there's a very good chance that the software is going to take a really long time to decrypt your stuff because it just takes a while. Um, the other piece of it is, is that a lot of times we see with decryption that the tool doesn't work or with the ransomware decryptor tool, it, the decryption doesn't work or it doesn't work on all your files. So that becomes a problem, right? Because now you're paying for files to be restored and not all of them can be restored. And this happens mm -hmm. uh, in, in most of the ransomwares that I've observed, this happens 100% of the time where you don't get 100% of your files back. Right. So, um, so it just goes on to say that they're doing everything possible that they can, um, definite constraint uh, on, the, uh, on the hospital system. Uh, and the high court order makes it a criminal offense to share information from the breach publicly he pointed out. So they passed a law in Ireland that basically says if you share any information from this breach publicly, um, I guess basically if you're a worker, right? Because like, what do we see when, when companies get hacked here? Like people go to social media, they go to Twitter, they go to Reddit, and they kind of give a, a boots on the ground uh, report of what's going on in their environment. You know, yeah. we've seen that happen. So that plus also probably to protect the information of the people if if the data was actually stolen um, by somebody, right? So uh, they're working with social media platforms to ensure no material is published. If data is published, the HSC will contact the Data Protection Commissioner, he added. So, but that's just that's just like keep trying to keep the honest people honest. Like, hey, if you got a if somehow you got a copy of an Excel spreadsheet or some type of document that had information from this, you're not allowed to publish it. But if you're honest, you're more likely not going to do it anyways. And if you're a criminal, you're not going to ease, you know, just post it or you know, you're going to trade it a different way than um, to, to make sure the police are not watching or, or authorities are not watching. Yeah, I'll give you one thing I can tell you right now when it comes to. Um, when it comes to this stuff, my perspective is that when you're dealing with both sides of the of the fence here. So what I'm talking about is when you're dealing with uh, the security people that that own products, like I was mentioning earlier, when you disclose a vulnerability, and when you're when you're dealing with hackers. The best approach, a lot of times, in my opinion, is the long game, right? Because these two entities on both sides are, are, are you just break it down to a human aspect. These human beings are so used to, you know, quick right now. They, they live in technology. When you start doing things like the, the Irish are doing, where they're playing the long game, where they're just like, okay. We're going to let this play out. We're not going to. We're not going to pay the ransom. We're going to put all these laws on the books that you, you know are basically s s traps. If you step into this trap or that trap, we're, it's going to be even worse for you. And if you read through this article, that's what's going on. They're literally setting things up for the long game, like you know, for what's going to come down the road after the investigation is is completed and we and we figure out what actually happened. And I'm seeing this, that type of strategy being em employed 
not only here, but I see it also with guys that I know that are in the threat research uh, space, right? That look for vulnerabilities for companies in software and hardware. It's like I mentioned, you know, they're going to these companies and trying to responsibly disclose things only to be met with, well, we can't, you know, we can't prove that right now in two seconds, right? And it's like, no, but if you look at the broad spectrum of this, of this, of what, what we've discovered and what we found, this is a very legit issue and vulnerability that needs to be addressed. Yes, there's a lot of different components involved, but it's still at the end of the day, I can use your product or your service to hack a company or get information that I shouldn't have my hands on. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to me that this is all playing out like this, where a lot of these issues that we're seeing are being handled with a very long-term type of strategy instead of, uh, hey, here's a problem, let's fix it right now and, and move on. These are all um, these are all strategies that people are using to have a positive impact and move things forward. But, but you can see it's going to take a long time for it to play out. Yeah. Um, the American microwave culture is, you know, CEO of boardroom is saying, fix it now, make it go away versus what, what you're saying. So. Right. And that's, that's, that's what these cyber criminals prey on is people who want the problem to go away right away. Yeah. When you start to deal with individuals who are like, okay, I'm willing to, you know, play chicken with you as long as it takes that, that disrupts things. Right. And that causes these hackers to maybe rethink how they're doing things because quite frankly, the longer they hang around, the more information the, the intelligence people can gather on them. Right. The more contact they have, they know where they are. They know how they can reach them. The more things that they can do to try to identify who these people are. Right. So let me ask the question, Brian. So they got the encryptor. They got the tool to decrypt their information. But how how confident are these guys where we're going to put a tool that the hacker is giving us on our systems? To now, de- like, doesn't that tool, couldn't that tool have something that they don't know? And maybe in three months, a year from now, hey, it just all of a sudden something happened again, or it's monitoring, or, or. Uh, well, there's no tool. The, the reality of it is, is that the ransomware software itself has, ha- is the tool. You just have to get, you just have to have the key to unlock the files, right? Okay. So they were given the key. And the software is there, but your 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 concern is valid. And I probably said it on this show, but I definitely said it on my channel. And the um, I was quoted in Forbes a couple of weeks ago saying the same thing. Any company that thinks that if they get attacked, either with ransomware or any kind of malware, and there's two things to this. Number one, if you don't or if you can't prove with 100% certainty that a certain system was not impacted or not touched by these hackers, then you're basically at a point where you need to go to go buy new equipment and put new equipment in, right? And, mm-hmm. and Reese and put every restand everything back up, right? Because data, right? The data that you care about 
does not get the, the malware. It's either hardware or software that gets the malware. So those are the two things that you need to buy new of when you're setting up a new network. You gotta get new hardware and you have to install new software that you know is clean and wasn't exploited or compromised in any way, shape or form. Then you can take backups and exports of your data and import them into, you know, so let's say, let's say, you know, as a for instance, let's say your Microsoft Outlook was uh, compromised, right? And a guy, somebody was able to go into your Outlook, change the code, and they built a backdoor into your Microsoft Outlook that allowed them to get control of your computer whenever they wanted, right? So you're not going to take that machine and just, you know, start using Outlook again because it's compromised. And you're not going to take that machine and, you know, create a new user account or something like that and still use the same outlook that that was compromised. You're going to either wipe that machine if you can prove that outlook was the only thing compromised. If you can't prove it, then you have to assume that other components of that system were also compromised, right? Because if you're a really smart hacker, you're putting more than one backdoor into the system so you can get back in. Right. So, you know, if you can prove that the hardware wasn't touched or, or modified, you can use the same hardware. But if you can't, you're buying new computers, you're installing Outlook new, and then you're taking your Outlook data file and you're importing the data back into the new system and the new Outlook, right? That's how this works to kind of break it down for you at a level that most people would probably understand, right? If you've ever dealt with Outlook, you know that it has this thing called a PST file that's the database that stores all your emails, all your contacts, all your calendars. That's the data, right? That in itself cannot be compromised. So that data would then get imported in back into your software. And that's how it works. So, so we got about seven more minutes here. Um, I do have to jump off at, at one o'clock. Um, but let's jump into this, this, uh, this California I guess gem you found, I would call it. <laughs> um, this article is interesting uh, because as you told me, um, it goes into a little bit about Scripps Health and I guess that's what prompted this guy to, to, to kind of take a look at things again. But um, let's, what is it, the NBC7 out in California in San Diego, um, they, they decided to go, hey, let, you know, we did an investigation it was what, two years ago? Yeah, 2019. Yeah. yeah, so they did an investigation in 2019. Um, and then they they were basically, I guess, what did they say then? What did they say in 2019? Well, well, in 2019, when they had the incident, they they you know they talked about it, et cetera. And now they're doing a follow-up to the to the 10 or so cities in the San Diego County to say it's been two years from now. It's been two years. What has changed? What have you done as far as improving your cybersecurity for your for your government entity? And then right. now they're going city by city to give what the response was. Right. So somebody at the news station was like, okay, Scripps Health got hit, which was a big I mean, the, the repercussions of that hasn't come out yet. Like that that was another big attack. Um you know, you're talking about a healthcare company with a lot of uh, patient information. Um so they get hit. So, so this investigator, Alex Rivas, 
goes, well, you know, scripts got hit, but I remember doing a story like this two years ago with all these other city governments that were getting hit left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they asked several cities across San Diego County, um, Carlsbad, Trula Vista, El Cajon, Encinitas, National City, Oceanside, Santee, San Diego, San Marcos, and Vista. Now, I'm sure they asked a lot of them, 10 10 cities replied, right? And basically summarize for our audience, Andre, what this article kind of details about the cybersecurity posture of their cities now versus where they were in 2019. Yeah, so um, there's two things that's interesting with with limited time. I know we got about four minutes left, but the city of uh, Carlsbad, they, they're stating that they get an average of 35,000 attempts a month from some, some kind of cyber attack. That is, that, that is a lot. That is a lot. Um, and then there was another city, which, Brian, if you want to hover down over to um, San Marcos, which I actually have a problem with this. I, I, I'm glad that they responded. However, look at that last paragraph where it says, for remote access security, the city, the city uh, has implemented Horizon and dual platforms. And then it also goes down to say the city also deployed Carbon Black and Red Canary. The, and the problem I have is they, they're just, they just told the whole world some of the, the tools that they're using to protect themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bad idea. I mean, I guess you want to you want to you want to boast a little bit because you actually did something. Um, but am I wrong? And I kind of breezed through this in the green room before we went live. Other than San Marcos revealing kind of who they work with uh, and why that's important and why Andre said this, and I agree with them. Now as an attacker, you know, if you go after Carbon Black or Red Canary, you know you're going to get San Marcos, right? If you can, if you can, if you can breach those companies, right? So now, those companies become bigger targets because guess what? They're not just working with San Marcos. Exactly. Right? Just like so, on their website, they listed all of the agencies, and they they became a, a target. Right. So, but I don't know. Generally speaking, as you go through all these cities, is it fair for me to say that not much has changed? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't, some of them kept tight lip and then others basically, you know, hey, we have a, a incident response plan that we're using in, in, if there's a, um, you know, during an emergency, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I, I agree with you on that. So not much has changed and cyber attacks are up. That's kind of like where, where, where we've been today, uh, where the money's up, the amount of money you're paying is up. Um, and with these city governments, not much has changed. And quite frankly, in private business, not much has changed either. If you're listening this to this and you own a business, you probably haven't done much in the last two years when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, some businesses have, but many, many have not. There's still a lot of companies that need to start and take cybersecurity more seriously, which means they have to invest more uh, in what they're doing. Um, and then this Verizon data breach report, a um, couple interesting stats, stats we're going to close with here. 
Verizon found that 85% of breaches involve a human element, which threat actors threat actors prefer by a 24% margin over breaches involving credentials. Right? So this is basically saying that <clears throat> human beings are the reason ransomware happens. Yep. Yep. And that's it. Um you know, it, and that's the bottom line. Is there anything else in here that we want to kind of highlight before we we wrap up the show? Um, just no, no. Uh, just some statistics. Uh, they were talking. Um, I'm actually happy to see some of these statistics. Um, so the reason I'm happy is because going back to the human aspect. You know, one of the jokes that I tell my clients is it's not that. The computer is made bad or the program is made bad. It's just the employee is not paying attention or they're tricked into doing something. So that that actually is just the best one that I like and that I'll be you know sharing with our clients is we're here to make sure that those people over there and you, the CEO, don't do something that's going to now cause you know this this um, attack. Right, and it's. Like I was talking to somebody uh, Saturday, and they work for a big hospital system, and I and I and they were they were asking me a question about the you know because of the pipeline hack, right? And I just asked them a simple question. I said, "Hey," I said, "He's like, what? Do, he's like, what do they do?" And I said, well, "What they do is they usually send somebody on your staff an an email or or some kind of link that they shouldn't click on, and they." are able to then get control of the system and deploy ransomware. Um, and I was like, I'm hoping you guys do some kind of like security awareness training or, or something like that. And he's like, yeah, we do something. It's like once a year. Um, and that's like the worst kind of cybersecurity training you can put out there, right? right. So um, there's better cybersecurity programs. You literally, if, if you're running a company, and we're going to end with this, um, if you're running a company and you and you are concerned about getting ransomware, if you are putting something in front of your employees on a weekly basis that's training them and teaching them what to look out for and what they should do, you are setting yourself up to get ransomware. And that's the bottom line. Your employees don't wanna be the cause of ransomware, but you're not equipping them with the tools and the resources and the knowledge so they can protect your company. And if you are not the person making sure that something is in your company besides a once a year, a once a month, a once a quarter type training, literally there are platforms out there where you can deploy quick and easy training videos with quizzes. You can track who's taking it. They get delivered to the mailbox or your inbox on a, on a, on a weekly basis and it's top of mind. And that's the right way to build a culture of cybersecurity in your business. So anything you want to uh, add to that before I hit end? And uh, last thing on this article is talking about how social um, social media engineering and essentially if it knows you have an account in the CPA, somebody that's working at your firm and they like, you know, Cleveland Browns football. So what they're going to specifically do now is send an email to that person about Cleveland Browns football, a survey, or hey, get free tickets or get discounted tickets, memorabilia, whatever the case is. And that's how they're going to specifically target that person in order to, um, so they're using social media to, to get your employees as well. It's, it's oh, absolutely. Google alerts. They're, 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 
they're they're sending sending you emails that look like they're Google Drive files, and people don't think that they can get fished or or tricked into ransomware through Google Drive, but it absolutely happens a lot. Um, there's a lot of different ways that this stuff can go down. Uh, I've seen I've seen ransomware links come in through website forms, right? Like who would think somebody would go to my website, fill out a form, send me a link. And because you're getting that from your website, a lot of times you're, you might let your guard down and not realize that the link this person just sent me from our website is a, a link that's going to get malware on my system and give us ransomware. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time, folks. So that's it for me. All right. All right, brother. Thanks for your time. Uh, we will see you all. We're going to record again on Thursday. So we'll see you then. Please remember to share out our show on your social media and wherever you like us, take 15 to 90 seconds to review our podcast. And hopefully you'll give us five stars on whatever podcasting platform you download us on. So hope everyone has a good day. We'll see you soon. Take care.